Man, you know we gotta put something on for the children. Get it, get it, get it, all of them. Get it. Get it. Oh, 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 oh. Get it, get it, get it, get it. Why don't you go to your... Beside me. 
Let me put them up in here. All right, y'all heard it live. Who that nation in the house? Enjoying the grandbabies. Holla. What's up, what's up, what's up, Boom Factor family? This is Dr. D wishing you a live happy Thanksgiving straight from H-Town, Irving, Andrews, Compton, Jackson, Thanksgiving 2018. That's right, that's right. And also celebrating one year, that's right, one year to have to be on this platform, Boom Factor Radio. And throughout the day, I will be plugging in the top. Well, I thought it was the 22nd we made one year, but you know what? Facebook always keep you on track. So November 17th, which was Saturday, we made one year. So between the 17th and the 22nd, I'm going to pick the top recordings from the year we're gonna i'm gonna play i guess 17 recordings maybe 20 no excuse me maybe 22 we'll see but the top 17 recordings that you guys um applauded left messages and i'm gonna look on both sides the um 
the Apple. I'm sure if it's on uh, Anchor, it's going to be on the Apple Podcast. But I know a lot of y'all listeners over there on the Apple Podcast, um, y'all really, y'all growing. Spotify, y'all growing. Um, Google Play, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and Radio Public. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. And um, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to list the top 17 recordings from the entire year as a celebration of Boom Factor Radio Live. And thank you once again for making us nominees three or three. We've been selected in three categories for award for 2019 Rhythm of Gospel Awards. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And we want to give God the glory for that. This is a time to celebrate. So, hey, go ahead and eat, eat, enjoy yourself, enjoy your family. If you if you get a little tipsy, just do that. Try not to, you know, things always come out when people start drinking. Lord have mercy. And usually be the truth. So that's why I try to tell y'all all through the year. Handle your business and your heart through the year. So when you get to the end of the year, it won't be all this riffraff, right? But with all that said, I'm going to let y'all go. I went to work last night, just got up. As you hear, my daughter got the music playing. The food is ready. We the type of family, you ain't got to wait till in the evening. Our food be ready in the morning. (laughs) All right, you guys. So stay tuned for the top 17 recordings on the Boom Factor Radio. Woohoo! You want to say hi? Say hi. Say hello. Hello. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. All right. You want to say happy Thanksgiving to the Boom Factor family? Happy Thanksgiving. All right, all right, all right. That's my grandchildren. Oh, Lord. Happy Thanksgiving. What's up? What's up? That's my second oldest daughter. What's up? What's up? About that, she gonna be soon on the Boom Factor. So, oh, I like the tennis shoe. Oh, 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 oh. All right. I'll say happy Thanksgiving to my my oldest grandson. Oh, he... happy Thanksgiving. All right, y'all. He playing his game, so I ain't gonna mess this go up. So I will list that. So until I chat with y'all later, happy Thanksgiving live from the Boom Factor Radio. It's Dr. D signing out. All right. People who have no vision in their lives, they throw off restraint. They throw off self-control. They have no idea. 16, vision chooses your life's plan. It tells you what to plan for your life. How to plan your living. The next vision dictates your values. Very important. We learned about this all week. When you know what you were born to do, it dictates how you should behave and what kind of standards you should live by. Right away, it changes everything. You still writing? I'm sorry. Then it's too late. Buy the tape and get the book. The impact of vision... On leadership, let's write this down, please. Vision clarifies purpose. It gives direction to the leader, and it empowers the leader beyond his assets. 
or her assets. Very important. Vision clarifies purpose. In other words, purpose of which you were born to do, vision gives it clarity. And then vision also empowers you to know your direction you're supposed to go in and your assets. It goes beyond the assets. In other words, vision does not allow you to live by what you don't have. It takes you beyond that. You begin to believe in things that you have no money to pay for. Hmm. And that's important. Because if you keep living by what you don't have, you'll never rise above what you don't have. Vision literally creates resources. Vision attracts resources. If, if, uh, people don't give to people, they give to vision. These things that you call government grants are literally resources that are looking for vision. When you go to get a grant, they don't say they can give you this to spend money. They, they, they always ask you, show me your vision first. What are we giving this money to? It's not to you, it's to the vision that you have. Vision attracts resources. And so it's important for you to really clarify your vision and make it so plain that anyone can see it like you see it. Wise people make choices that protect their vision. Very important. By the way, uh, on the list I gave you earlier, it does say vision chooses your friends, huh? Let me tell you something about how important that is. Once you know where you want to go in life, it decides your company. I have very few friends in my life. Very few. And I don't want any more. I have millions of acquaintances. And I'm stuck with millions of brothers and sisters. They ain't my friends. You see, you're born with your brothers and sisters, but you choose your friends. And your friends are more important than your brothers and sisters. The Bible is very clear. It says a friend is closer than a brother. Wow. Let me define a friend for you. A friend is anyone who is willing, committed, and can help you get to your destiny. A friend is anyone who is willing and committed to help you get to your destiny. That's a friend. So if you want to be great, don't keep company with small-minded people. If you want to be a success, stay away from failures. Coming to this summit is a choice to keep company. You're keeping company with friends like us. You come here and you get your dream and your vision stimulated, fertilized, watered, encouraged. That's the right friendship you want. I always describe the example to me, this is the greatest one I've discovered in life, is between Mary and Elizabeth. I talk about it all the time. You know, Mary was pregnant with the greatest gift in the world. And the angel said, if you want to have this baby, you got to go find Elizabeth. And when she found Elizabeth, it said when they looked at each other, the babies leaped. Don't be with anyone who doesn't make your baby leap. Mm. Mm. Wow, that's powerful. Your dream should yes. be stimulated by your friends. Yes, Lord. Every time you're around them, they're supposed to impact you. 
to keep going, yes. to believe. Yes. Anyone who becomes a negative to your dream is what I call pollution. Mm. They are experts in abortion. Be careful. Mm. They are wow. after your baby. Oh, wow. Sometimes it's people of your own household. Okay. Sometimes your own family is bad company. You got to know that. Mm -hmm. That's why Mary had to leave Joseph's presence because Joseph was not yet converted about this child. Okay. He was considering what? Putting her away. Okay. Abortion. Wow. There's some friends that you left home before you came here, and when you go down the mountain, you got to go down the other side. I am not kidding, because what you heard here this week, you better protect it. You should have never come here if you want to keep your old friends. Write this down. You can outgrow your friends. A lot of you don't know how dangerous your company is. So let me give you another principle to work with. If in your group that you call your friends, if you are the smartest one in the group, it's time to leave the group. Oh, wow. <laughs> if they always asking you the questions, you may think that's great. That's bad. He said that's bad. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> you want to be in the company of friends who make you think, who expand you, who you ask questions to. People who ain't going nowhere want you to go with them. That's why they don't want you to leave the group. Because folks who ain't doing nothing want you to do it with them. <laughs> so they say, oh, you're going to join that other group, huh? You're going to abandon us, huh? <laughs> Absolutely yes. <laughs> there are some friends who I grew up with right here in this island. I'm talking about 40 years ago. And they are still sitting under the same tree playing on wow. the same domino board yes. with the same dominoes. Wow. Yes. I can still find them. Mm -hmm. And you got friends like that too? Vision chooses your friends. Vision is the best next thing to time travel. I like that, man. I tell you, that's great. You know, uh, when you have a vision, that means you are, you are spacey. <laughs> Always spaced out. It's great to be spaced out. Because earth is too dangerous to live on. Vision is seeing the future before it comes into being. Here's what vision means. Vision means you expect more of your world than what you see. Vision means you take bold steps of faith. Vision is a, as a venture out with risk-taking courage. Vision means to dare to hope for something beyond yourself. Vision is critical. Boy, I could almost hear my spirit. Some of y'all taking some good notes. And when I hear this again, this is going to sound just like yours. <laughs> You're going to teach this up. 
at least tell them you got it from the summit. At least, you know, you don't got to call no names or anything. Just say, I got it from, the, from a summit I was at. <laughs> Vision is so critical, it literally makes you believe in a better world. It becomes more real. And I believe oh, we heard in the, in the last two sessions we had here was so deep. I was taking notes like crazy because what we heard was so critical. And Dr. Chris was talking about the subconscious mind. And then Dr. Raphael Messiah was talking about the subconscious mind. It's so important. Uh, I was sharing with one of my colleagues when he was teaching. I said, I said, do you realize what he just said? That your body and what you show us is fake. Mm. Your real self is your subconscious, subconscious self. So if nothing gets that into your subconscious so self, it's not real yet. That was a powerful thing. That's why the Bible said, let these things sink down into your heart. Get it into your subconscious mind. Then it becomes real. All right. Vision is unlimited sight. That's a Miles Monroe quote, so make sure I give him my name on that, eh? <laughs> it's unlimited. Ability to see without limit. The power to do that. All right. A couple more comments, and then we look at this, the system of writing your vision down. The vision you have for your life creates consequences and affects how you spend your time and your resources. What does that mean? It means that a strong vision inspires passion. This passion transforms and controls your life, and vision is the source of that discipline that that life creates. Without vision, sight has no hope. Therefore, when you have vision, you can always live in the midst of difficulty with a good attitude. A good attitude. The greatest leaders in the present but focus intently on the future are the ones who win. Living in the present is fine, but don't put your focus there. It's too much depression. Mm. Be an agent of hope. Moving too, too slow. All right. Here we go. Here are the ten components of writing a vision. I gave give you a chance to ask some questions in the last five minutes, okay? Number one, a vision should be clear and simple. When you're writing a vision down, please do not be afraid if you're writing many pages. Now, let me just explain this to you. The process I sometimes take my classes through in training to write vision, especially when I'm dealing with corporate companies, I tell them, I said, look, first you got to do is go find a quiet place. Get away from everybody. Take no music with you. Get away from television. Get away from all distractions. Go on the beach or go in the bush. Because in order for you to to hear your insides, you got to get rid of distractions on the outsides. If you study the Bible carefully, the characters in Scripture, most of them received their vision for their lives when they were out in the hills somewhere. Moses used to live in Egypt, remember? That was big civilization, big city time. For 40 years, God didn't show him anything. But now he's stuck in the back of the desert as a fugitive, with sheep who can't talk to him. No trees, barren land. God says, I think I got him now. David, stuck out there in the hills with them sheep, little harp. Nothing to do all day while the sheep are eating, just kind of sitting down there worshiping God. 
It's a vision. Joseph, out there in the back of the hills, no big city lights, no shopping centers, no malls. Out there by himself, God shows him his dream. The reason why you can't see is because you're looking too much. Your heart cannot see because your eyes has too many distractions. If you're going to write your vision, you got to first capture it. And you capture it by getting positioned in a certain way where you can hear what God has been saying all these years. Let me just stress here that your vision is not outside of you. God hid your future where you can't miss it. You've been told by religion, go and find God's will. And so for the past 30 years, you've been going from this prophet to that prophet, to this meeting, to that meeting, this conference, that conference, this crusader, this bishop, that bishop. You've been trying to find it. Some of you even went to, <laughs> I want to say it, astrology. Call me now. I mean, you went all kind of stuff to try and find why you was born. And God is saying, this is stupid. There's a book out there, a whole, uh, three books out there. I want to recommend you buy them. Three books on potential. Please buy all three of them and read them in succession. The first one is understanding your potential. Read that one first, understanding your potential. Then read number two, releasing your potential. Then number three, maximizing your potential. Why? I, I spent 30 years studying this thing. And I discovered life is very simple. Simple. Life is simple. God hid everything that a thing supposed to become in itself. So your future is not ahead of you. It's trapped on the inside. A forest is not ahead of the seed. It's in the seed. Your future is in you, been there all along, but there's too much noise. So as you get on, clink, remote on. In the car, boom, 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 boom. So as you come with the car, friends. God is saying, man, this is a lot of noise for the last 50 years. I can't even get to this person. How did God get to talk to Abraham? God says, leave your home. Let's talk in the mountain. See, the reason why you can't discover even your, what you were born to do is because you don't even make time to discover it. Sometimes that's why God would allow you to get sick and trap you in the hospital for a couple of weeks on your bed. And then you finally hear God's voice for your life. Because you, you don't take no time. And by the way, uh, please get that book on prayer. It's very important. Because, did I lose that? In the name of Jesus. Because it is important for you to understand that God doesn't play uh, cat and mouse games with us. He wants you to know what you were born to do. So you got to write it down. You have to write it down. It might be the plug. Now, this book on prayer. Oh, you got one here. The book on prayer. Write this down, please. Write this down. It's going to be very shocking for some of you, but please write it down. Meditation 
Meditation, write it down, meditation is the most important aspect of prayer. What is it? Most important aspect. What is it? The most important. What is it? What is it? Most of you never meditate. Never. You talk too much in prayer. <laughs> you never hear from God while you're talking. And 99% of your prayer is you talking. And when you finish talking, as far as you're concerned, the exercise is over. So you leave. Please buy this book. Let me tell you, your dream is never revealed to you while you're talking. And we think prayer is talking. May God have mercy on us. I want you to go back home changed. Are you? I said, are you? When you go to prayer again, please pray 10 minutes and sit for 60. And just listen. You'll be amazed how loud he speaks. Finally, he gets to talk. Meditation. Prayer is you talking. Meditation is you listening. Suppose you and I have a conversation, you come to see me to ask for some things, you tell me everything, and then no way for me to even tell you what I want to do. You just leave. That's stupid, isn't it? We do it to God all the time. And God goes and says, ah, ah, wait, don't go, I didn't answer you yet, where are you going, wait? And you're gone, you think you already did your prayer time, see? Mm-hmm. And you keep asking God, how come I'm not hearing from you? How come I'm not getting any direction from you? God saying, because you don't, you, don't, you don't wait for the directions. You give me instructions. Is this good? Yeah. Dangerous stuff, eh? You must know where you came from. Now, am I lost? God forgive you. Okay. Anyhow, everything I know is already downloaded in me because it came out of me. All right. Number two. Write all of your desires on paper. All of them. Now, this is important. You might end up with 10 pages. Don't be alarmed. We're not ready for simplification yet. Write all your desires down. Think about everything you would desire to do before you die and just put it on paper. It may end up being 10 pages. My own was about maybe 8 or 9 pages when I worked with this as a teenager. Don't panic. You're getting out your desires. The Bible says, I will give you the desires of your heart. But he says what? You got to trust me first. eh? Trust in him means what? You trust in what you're hearing. And then he will give you what? The desires of your, point at your heart. Gotcha. (laughs) He's talking about the mind. In other words, all these things you've been thinking about and and ignoring for the last 40, 50 years has been the voice of God. You know, let 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 me give you something very important. The 
voice of God is so simple, we ignore it because it's not sophisticated enough. You ever heard quote-unquote men of God talk like this? Quote-unquote men of God. The Lord spoke to me last week and said, and then it made you feel bad, right? I mean, you sit there going, how come he never speaks to me? Okay, and you begin to feel like these are very super spiritual people. So let me just destroy all the stuff you think about that. All they meant was, I had an idea. Whether it's Benny Hinn, or Copeland, or Hagen, or Oral. What they're simply saying is, I had an idea that wouldn't go away. <laughs> well, then if that's the case, then God's been speaking to you for a long time. Don't mystify this thing. Your vision is the thoughts that won't leave you. Your vision is the dream that keeps coming back for 30, 40 years. It started when you were 10. Your vision is the desire for you to do something that keeps coming back. It's your deepest desire. I'm not talking about desire for house and car. I'm talking about the desire to change a situation in your world. It's there. I know you've been feeling it. That's why I told you that your purpose in life is the thing that makes you angry. It's the thing that you keep seeing and you get mad. No one else gets mad at it, just you. Whatever makes you angry, you were born to solve. Start writing that down. Write down what you feel is the solution to the thing that makes you angry. Because those thoughts, I remember reading this as a young teenager. In the book of Psalm, it says, the thoughts of a righteous man are always right. I couldn't believe that when I read that. Because I was taught by the church, do not trust your thoughts. The thoughts of a righteous man are right. Righteous means what? Properly aligned with God. That's why I say, you trust in the Lord. Get yourself aligned properly, and then he will give you whatever comes out of your heart when you're in that alignment. The desires that you have. That's why you came to this summit. There's some desires in your heart that you want to accomplish. And they're being refined here. You, you, you go back to your hotel room in the nights and you begin to think. Look at the window out of the ocean. You begin to think, my God, what am I doing in this place? I'm, I'm feeling some things that frighten me. That feeling is good. Feeling is good. Don't be afraid to dream but while you're here. You only pay for Most importantly, write it down. Now, when you write all of your desires down, like I say, you may end up with a lot of information on paper. It's important for you then to 
simplify those nine pages of paper to concise one-sentence statements. In other words, you may have seven or eight different things that you really feel strongly about. Just write them down and simplify them in sentences, simple sentences. I remember mine when I began to crystallize mine. I, I had a passion to see young people changed. Just a teenager, I had this passion. So I wrote it down. And then I began to think, how can I do this? I began to think, I can do it through music, because I had this natural gift of music. So I wrote down, I would, I would write music specifically to attract young people. I began to simplify it. Then I said, okay, so then I will write music, and I will form a group that will sing music that will attract young people. And my vision began to get clearer and simplified. I ended up with this idea. I'm going to form a group that will produce contemporary Christian music to attract young people so I can tell them about God. I had it all on paper. And then the vision began to grow. We started having, I formed a group, we started writing music. Music began to attract young people. We had four or five thousand teenagers in the same island coming together to hear our music. And we tell them about God, they got saved. I was 16, 17 years old when we started doing that. And then the problem started, what do you do with these young people? Because they weren't going to church. They came on the streets. So the vision grew. We had to form, we had to form these relationships with these churches to send these kids to these churches. Now the churches didn't know what to do with the kids because the church, you know, were not prepared. So we had to develop a whole new system of meeting on Saturday nights. So we formed this other little place called, you know, a crossroads lighthouse where we think how all the kids meet because they had to find somewhere to go. And we started these coffee houses. In other words, as, as the vision is simplified, it begins to grow. Because your vision creates more new opportunities for you to solve more problems that are, are, that are raised by those solutions that you already given. Your vision may start very simple and it ends up being a conglomerate. I mean, today our organization is worth, you know, multi-millions of dollars, but it started with seven people in, in, in my apartment just to solve a problem. There is a passage of scripture that is very, very simple but profound. Proverbs 19.21, my favorite verse. It says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in a man's heart. Vision must be captured. You ever heard these, these uh, scriptures? Paul says, capture every thought. You ever read that? And bring them down to the obedience of Christ. In other words, don't just sit there thinking. Capture them. Bringing them to the obedience of Christ means that you compare them to the word. And if it's in line with the word, you say, hold on to that thought. 
matter how big the dream is. Casting down imaginations and every high thought that what? Exhausts itself against what you know about God. All the others, you capture. <laughs> Why? That's him talking to you. So you get an idea that you're going to build a boys' school to help young boys in your city. Or you're going to build a girls' school to help girls. You check the Bible, see if that, that, that God's against that. If God is against that, you better start writing down your dream fast. That's your assignment. So I got this idea of robbing banks. Got a big dream how to rob banks, but effectively. You can compare with the Bible, thou shalt not steal. Okay, so then that can't be God. See, it's not difficult to figure out God's will for your life. Are you with me? Yeah. I have a desire to be a multi-millionaire so I can be rich and go play golf and go boating all my life. Compare with the word of God. And no one gets, this doesn't fulfill the Great Commission. So that's not a vision from God. No one gets saved with me having a billion dollars in the bank. <laughs> Casting down imaginations and every high thought that exalts the suffocating knowledge of God. Then it says what? Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of who? Christ. All right? Capture it. Number two, simplify. Number three, document it. Document means you write it down, put it in a form that you know, that you can understand. And what your goal is, is to try and get your entire life's purpose in one sentence. Now that may take a long time to do, but it is possible to do it. You want to reduce your life to one sentence. Write that down. If I can ever get you to get that point, I'll be successful in this last session. Reduce your life to one sentence. In other words, you have to somehow identify your gifts and your talents and summarize them in one sentence to the point where you know this is who and what I am. This is what I bring to the world. This is what I give the world. This is what I offer my generation. This is me and this is what they need from me. That's your vision in life. You got to capture that in one sentence. And next, you must communicate that simple sentence. Put it in a brochure. Make a plaque out of it. Put it everywhere you are. Talk about it. Talk about it to people. I told you earlier this week that people exist to help you, but they got to find you first. So you got to capture that. Then make a plan based on that sentence. A plan is your strategy to get to your vision. By the way, I learned something about planning. God doesn't plan for you. Mm. Next point, revise your vision. Notice the word re re revision has vision in it. Re means what? To go back. 
So a revision of your vision means you keep going back to check to see if you're on course. Because God may even adjust some things. He may even change. Don't be afraid to give God something to adjust. And finally, evaluate your vision. Evaluate your vision means that you keep judging yourself. Am I doing what I say I was born to do? Or am I getting off track? A few suggestions. Suggestion number one. Your greatest enemy is distraction. Suggestion number two. The greatest distraction is not bad things, but good things. The greatest distraction to your vision is not doing bad things, but what? Good things. Important lesson to learn. And finally, vision comes in phases. It comes in phases. It's fulfilled in phases. It's a term I use in my book. It's called phasal. I created that word. Uh-huh. Vision is phasal. Phasal. P-H-A-S-A-L. It's phasal. What I mean by that is vision, God gives it in phases and is fulfilled in phases. What you're doing right now, you might not be doing in 10 years. This may just be a phase of the vision, a part of it. God expands it. In my book on leadership, there's a chapter I did on the purpose for leadership. Make sure you read that chapter twice. In that chapter, I talk about the fact that that the greatest enemy of right is good. Write that down. The greatest enemy of right is not wrong. It's good. Satan knows you are too smart to do something wrong. So he'll basically focus on getting you to do something good. Mm. (laughs) Because when you do something good, you think you're doing something right. Mm. You were born to find out what is right for you. When you find out what is right for you, then that's that's what's right for you. Everything else may be just good or wrong. So preoccupation with a good thing is no substitute for the right thing. Stay with what you're born to do. That means you should not accept every opportunity that comes along, even if they are good. Are you listening? Don't let people come into your life and change your vision to do something good with them. statement I make often. Simple statement. I live by it. Learn from others but never become them. Mm. Learn from others but never become them. It's important to learn from people. We don't want you to be like us. Any of us. Any of our team. No. We want you to learn from us. We want you to be yourself. 
course, the ultimate joy of life is to be yourself. I have so much more to say to you now, but you could not take it. Are you happy you came here today? Anybody feel pregnant? Come on, man, say yes. Yeah, my brain is pregnant. Yes, Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. This is Dr. D with the Boom Factor. I'm telling you guys, I like to share different e-mentors that I um, discipline myself to listen to, to learn, to engage, to empower, always to expand my uh, subconscious mindset to push me forward, to keep me motivated, you know, in my business, in my ministry. And I always like to be refueled when I have given out. Yesterday was so awesome and powerful. Uh, we had our uh, It's Time to Strike Goals workshop. And I'm telling you, um, the individuals, everybody showed up. I mean, we had like two people that couldn't make it. But you know what? I always say those that are in the house, that's the ones that needed to be there. So I encourage you all, if you ever have an event, don't, all, don't look at who's not there. Thank God and be grateful for the ones that are there because they are the ones that are assigned to uh, manifest something magnificent for the Father. And so you look at that, you, you rejoice about it, and you feed into them. And then once you have given out all of your so your resources and have given out your energy, you know, because it takes time, effort, and money to put on workshops and events. So once you do that, you go, you digress, you get you some rest, and now you go and fill yourself back up. And so that's what I do with ministry, with business, when I'm traveling, no matter what it is, I always take opportunity to feed myself back up. And I always listen to powerful men and women of God that have been a blessing to my spirit, a blessing to my soul, and really have encouraged me to stand the course. Fight the good fight of faith, you guys, because every one of you that's listening to this podcast, you have a destiny to fulfill. And as um, the late, that was late, the late Dr. Miles Moreau, uh, awesome man of God, I had an opportunity to meet him back in 1989 when he just was introduced to the United States. He is from the Bahamas. Um, he have a awesome ministry that's still flourishing and still thriving because he set that course. And now because him and his wife have went on uh, to be with the father, his children have now picked up the torch and they are still running the race and his ministry is still flourishing. And he his messages is still teaching and is still vibrant. And I love what he says. He says that... Um, when you're pregnant, when you be around other people that cause your vision to, to leap, get you excited, to motivate you to move forward, to do something, that's the individuals you need to be around. I don't understand these people that, that just come and go and they don't take it for, they don't take this, this mission for, you know, seriously. You know, and I thank God for how he explained it and broke it down. You know, so if I'm in a group, and I'm the only one, not only asking questions, but that can, uh, not only can ask questions, but have to give answers. I need to go get to another group, you know, because we always supposed to be advancing. And I want to learn from people. 
I don't want to stay in the same circle. So uh, I want to bless you guys. I'm about to get ready to roll out of here to go to Sunday uh, worship. And um, we almost finished with our 30-day challenge. It's almost a 30 days. So I got to catch up, right? <laughs> Dr. D going to be on the grind. You know what I'm saying? While everybody eating barbecue and stuff, I'm going to be doing this challenge so we can get this in the books. And then we're going to wait and see what the Father wants us to do next. I believe he's probably going to have me um, gearing more. I'm I'm in I'm really in the middle of three assignments, you guys. As you see, in the in the entrepreneurship workshop, we doing the all your walls fortified um, messages and the thirty day challenge. So I want to see what Daddy's gonna say. You know, and uh, he know he keep me on the move. <laughs> okay, you guys. So y'all have a blessed day. I love you all with the love of the Lord. Be encouraged. Stay the course. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hustle hard, but stay humble, okay? Peace. Dr. D is out from the Boom Factor. Love you. Talking to me in a way that I think is interesting, but you're going to have to follow me to appreciate the continuity of what I'm trying to say. Now, I'm going to give you a heads up. I'm going to go to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8 through 16. And then we're going to do 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 through 8. <laughs> and, and, and while you're turning to it, I want to explain myself. A friend of mine, a preacher friend of mine and I were talking on the phone. And I said, I've, I've been preaching 40 years. And to just get up and preach the story... For the 400,000th time, doesn't really excite me. I'm going from just preaching the story to pulling the principles out of the story that are relevant to your life. Often we know the stories, but we don't know how to take the principles and make them applicable to our lives. If you were here Thursday, when we did, we had one, yeah. And I have to say, y'all shocked me on Thursday because I thought the turkey was going to win. But they came on out two on a meal Thursday. Didn't we have a good time in the Lord? And we were, we were dealing with this notion of humbling yourself up under the mighty hand of God. Well, we know the scripture, but what does that mean? We've never seen the hand of God. So what are we really saying when we're saying we're humbling ourselves up under the hand of God? And we talked about, of course, we realize that it literally means to humble yourself up under his authority. But we took it to the next level to also understand that God often uses other people's hands. And if you don't learn how to humble yourself to his hands as it is revealed in the actions of others, you will miss the purpose of God in your life. So it was powerful. Yeah, it's kind of going to be on that trajectory today as we go into the Word of God. I'm going to be talking about fighting the good fight. Fighting the good fight. And and the funny thing about it is this is one of those messages where the, where the, the title and the scripture don't have nothing to do with each other. And you're totally at my mercy to make the connection between the two. If you don't follow me, you're going to feel like I'm discombobulated and schizophrenic and theologically deranged. But if you follow me, you're going to understand because I'm talking about fighting the good fight. And yet nobody is fighting in the scriptures that I use. Because normally if you use fighting the good fight, you know, you would use a scripture where somebody was in a fight. But the fight that I'm talking about is not an obvious fight. 
It is not a physical fight. And a lot of times people don't understand how to fight in the spirit. I mean, people who fought in the flesh good don't know how to fight in the spirit. They don't identify the kind of fight. You could be tired from a fight that people can't even see. They say in a physical fight, you only got a certain amount of minutes. I don't care how tough you are before you win or lose the fight. Because fighting expends a lot of energy. In a physical fight, you're going to be exhausted a lot quicker than you imagine. I know you imagine yourself fighting and you're a superhero. You get mad and your temper makes you think you can beat up everybody. But in reality, you're going to run out of breath pretty soon. So whatever you're going to do physically, you have to do it in a fairly short amount of time because after that, you know, that's when you start calling for your mama and stuff like that. And it's real embarrassing. It looks real bad. There is another fight that goes on in your life. And I'm going to point out uh, in these two scriptures and, and, and the obvious depiction of that fight and a less obvious depiction of that fight. Let's go first to Second Kings chapter 4, verse 8 through 16. Hey, if you're watching online, you better call your friend right now. If they hurry up and log on, they'll be just in time to get the word of God. Second Kings chapter 4, verse 8 through 16. Let's stand for the word of the Lord. And it fell on a day that Elijah passed to Shunem, where was a great woman. What kind of woman? She was a great woman. Are you a great woman? Okay, she was a great woman. And she constrained him to eat bread. And no, brother, I didn't mean for you to ask that. And she constrained him to eat bread. Talked about Elijah. She, she brought him in the house and fed him. And so it was that as often as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. She was a great woman. She was a generous woman. And every time she turned around, she brought bread. Keep going, brother. Yeah. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God. This is a relationship that is growing, which passes by us continually. Read on. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. Let's fix him up a place to stay. Let's, let's enlarge the house. Let's add a wing. And let us set for him there, once it's a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. Let's make this permanent. Let's fix him up a room. Let's make space for him. Keep going. And it fell on a day that he came thither and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi his servant, call this woman. She keeps doing great things for me. Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. Watch this. And he said unto him, say now unto her, now the woman is in the room, the servant is in the room, and Elijah's in the room. Elijah doesn't talk to her directly. He speaks to the servant and says, say now unto her, behold, thou hast been careful for us. You've been good to us with all this care. What I want to do something by... Ooh, ooh, so many things I want to talk about in this text. I can't hardly resist it. What is to be done for thee? I want to do something back for you. Never let somebody be good to you and you don't do anything back. Oh, my God. Come on, teach that. My God. You're not entitled to receive that blessing and do nothing ooh. back. Reciprocity is a part of your faith. Wow. 
what can I do for you? Yes. Wouldst thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell amongst my own people. I'm fine. I don't need anything. I don't need a good word from the king or anybody. And he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, verily, she have no child. And her husband is old. I won't explain that. See <laughs> law. And he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. Look at how intent Elijah is to bless this woman. This is her second trip back in the room. He is trying to find a way to give back to her. Why is that important? If, if she has sown into him, and, and he doesn't find a way to reciprocate, he breaks a spiritual law. You can, never let, you can never just receive from people and not give anything back. Whoa. It's illegal. It's irresponsible. Whoa. It's inappropriate. You break a kingdom law. I could talk about that all day. I'm not even talking about this, but I, I can talk about that all day. And he said, about this season, mm. about this season, According to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. Now we know she didn't have a son. <clears throat> we know she didn't have a son. She had money. When the Bible says she's a great woman, it meant that she, she was well off. Okay. And we also know that she was well off enough that she could afford to build a room for a visitor. Come on now. Whoa. That's well off. Yeah. I come visit you and eat a couple of pieces of chicken a couple of times and I come back the third time and you got a wing added on to your house just for me. That's pretty good. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and about the and he says to her, I'm looking for a way to bless you. I tried to bring your name up to the king. You didn't want it. I tried to use my influence to extend a favor. You said, I'm good. I don't need anything. I had to search to find a place in your life Whoa. of deficiency. Whoa. I finally found a place. Okay. You don't have a child. And your husband is old. Mm. And none of your checks, your MasterCard, your American Express, your Visa, nor your Discover can buy this. Mm. There are some blessings. That money can't buy. Oh, y'all don't hear what I'm saying. That thing, That's what I'm talking buy. about. Favor, come on. And he said, because I am a man of God. Yes. He said, by this time next year, or about this season. About this season means by this time next year. Next year, okay. According to the time of life, Whoa. thou shalt embrace a son. You're going to get the thing that you could not give yourself. If I walked over to you and told you by this time next year, you're going to get the thing that you could not give yes, yourself. Yes, yes, Lord. Hallelujah. How would you react? Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. Uh, yes, you, you don't understand. Yes. The, the Bible says she perceived him to be a man of God. Yes. This woman so believed in his ministry, she has built a wing on her house. 
And the prophet says to her, about this time next year, you're going to embrace the thing you could not do for yourself if you believe that yes, word, yes. how would you react? Yes, glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the way Lord. I thought she should yes, react. Yes, Lord, hallelujah. But instead, she says, no, my Lord, thou man of God. Why would you say no? Okay. Why would you say no? Do not lie unto thy handmaid. That's not. Thank you. I'm going to next. Stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. I'm going. I got something for you this morning. I'm telling you. Second Timothy four seven and eight. Here, Paul has written to Timothy at the end of his life, and he says to him. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Yes, Lord. And not, not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Okay. Go back to that sentence verse for a minute. I have fought a good fight. I have fought a good fight. Fight. I have fought yes, a good fight. Wait a minute. I know a lot about Paul. I know his original name was Saul. I know he was of the tribe of Benjamin. I know that he was a member of the Sanhedrin court. I know that he spoke in several different languages. I know that he had some type of physical infirmity that made it difficult for him to get around. I know that he was blind on the road to Damascus. I know that he ended up being led by the people who he was leading. I know that there was nothing beautiful about him. I know that he was long-winded. I know that he wrote letters in just situations and circumstances. I know that he is responsible for much of the New Testament scriptures, our understanding of church and theology. I know that he was beaten three times, left for dead. I know he was bitten by a snake. Yes, sir. I know all kinds of stuff about Paul. I don't ever remember Paul being in a fight. Come on now. Whoa. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> yes, sir. How can you tell Timothy? As you prepare to leave, I fought a good fight. <laughs> and you never punched Not anybody. Okay. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I have finished my course. Before he talks about his course, he talks about his fight. Okay. Today I want to talk to you for a few minutes about fighting the good fight. Yeah. <laughs> Father, I thank you for this opportunity to feed the flock of God.
to pour into them the word of God. Let the teaching be relevant. Let it be life-changing. Let it stir hope and tenacity in the hearts of your people. And let it give birth as it is being preached. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You sit the rest of the day. I tell you, I tell you where I got started. I'm gonna take you on this this little journey. Okay. I I, I, I interviewed when I was doing my talk show a, a, a week ago. It aired last week. I'm Doctor Phil. And when when I was, you, how many saw that? <laughs> yeah. And he and I were having an exchange about the pressure of the times that we're living in, and the being bombarded with constant information, and the sociological impact it has on the society. I personally don't think that, I think that we have created things that were beyond the space we were created to occupy. Right, right. We were not designed to be, to bring all of these people into our house through technology. Whoa, okay. We have sensory overload. Yeah. When God created us, he did not create us to live in the jungle that technology has brought into your life. The stress of having millions and thousands of people's opinions in your business is not good. It's damaging. It's damaging. We, we have sensory overload. We have too many images coming at us through our screens, through our phones, through our television. We, 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 we don't have thought life. We don't have time, moments of tranquility. We are the only animal on the planet that has no place to lay our head. We carry our phones to bed. We are addicted. We are overwhelmed. We are at our wit's end. And I can see it affecting the psychological profile of our society to the point that we have more angry people than we have ever had in my life. I have never seen such vicious, frustrated, angry people lashing out because we have no place to refresh. Yes, Lord. I see the same thing. So we were having that conversation. Come on now. And, and I brought up IQ. IQ. Intellectual quotient. Our intellectual quotient tells us not how smart you are, but the space you have. Okay. Okay. How how much hard drive you have, how strong your database is to be able to absorb information. We don't all have the same intellectual quotient. When you think of quotient, think of quota. We don't all have the same database. We don't have enough space intellectually. We're not all the same. Some people are just, they just have more capacity. My wife remembers stuff so good, it makes me feel like I got Alzheimer's. I hate to get into an argument with her because I can't even remember what happened. Oh yeah, you had on a blue tie, you were standing there, and you had on your brown jacket, and you, and, and, and I, I would fight back if I could remember. IQ, space. Space. She made space for the man of God. Space. Everybody doesn't have the same amount of space. Some people, sometimes you are wanting things from people intellectually that they don't have. I can't be smarter than I am. 
I, I, you're beyond my quota. Wow. And my intellectual quotient does not accommodate the challenge before me. That's why you ought not to ask for things that are beyond your competency. Okay. Whoa. David said, I do not fool with things that are too high for me. Yeah, yeah. You got to be honest enough and not let your ego carry you beyond your IQ. Come on now. Whoa. Because you can see other people doing stuff, but you don't have the space to do that job. So you got to learn how to be happy for people without becoming a hater of people because you don't have the IQ. Enjoy their IQ is God's gift to you. Whoa, okay. Glory to God. Come on now. That's good. That's God good. gave them smart to bless you. And there you are competing with the gift he gave you. Whoa. Because your ego will not allow you to appreciate the fact that some folk just got it like that. IQ. So he and I was talking about IQ. And then I started going a little deeper because over the years, I've learned, I've gone beyond IQ to EQ. Emotional quotient. Okay. This deals with, it is possible to be intellectually smart and emotionally dwarfed. Whoa. Some people are smart. They retain data, information. They know all kinds of stuff. They read books. They're really bright. They can do all kinds of things. But emotional stuff, they can't handle it. You can be an emotional dwarf and an intellectual giant. Wow. Ooh, okay. Just because That's... you're smart intellectually doesn't mean that you manage your emotions well. Okay. All the married people want to shout. They just can't. They just sit there. <laughs> But in their shoe, their toes are wiggling up and down. Because you know, you don't know till you get involved with somebody how emotionally stable they are. Yeah. Now, you can tell that they're smart, but you don't know that they're crazy. I'm teasing. You, <laughs> For real. You know she was good looking, 36, 24, 36. And you remember them numbers vividly in your head. And you don't know that old 36, 24, 36 is an emotional terrorist until after the wedding is over. <laughs> and then you go home with somebody who's crying and can't tell you why, mad at you but can't give you a reason. How do you negotiate with somebody who doesn't even know why they're upset in the first place? Don't say nothing, just keep looking straight ahead. Act like you don't know nothing about what I'm talking about. Their emotional quotient can be developed, but is often learned through what they grew up around. So if their house, oh, I don't have time to get in there. If their house was, was, was emotionally on a 10 and everybody said what they thought, and I just got to speak my mind, and I'm just like my mother, that's what's wrong. You're just like your mother. And they need to be emotionally developed which is a sign of maturity. I won't go fully into it. Some people don't have much emotional capacity. So you're wanting something from them that they don't have space to give you. So you keep saying, I need more. And they keep saying, I'm giving you everything I got. And you keep saying, I need more. And they keep saying, I'm giving you everything I got. And what you don't understand, they're not lying. Your need does not determine my space. Come on now. 
know that was worth the trip all by itself. Yeah, but you need. Come on now. EQ. Come on. Versus IQ. Bringing those two things together is very important. You want to be just as intellectually mature as you are emotionally and vice versa. Sometimes God will give you a job that you are qualified to do. But because of your emotional skills, you are hard to work with. You can do the work, but you can't work with anybody. We hired you because we saw your IQ, but we got to live with your EQ. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. Is that good? So we begin to talk about, just for a minute, just Dr. Phil and I was talking about IQ, and then we start talking about EQ, and then he brought up something that made me go back and study. He brought up AQ. And I wasn't familiar with AQ, so when the interview was over, I started reading up on AQ. Your adaptability quotient. How well do you adapt to change? Some people are good as long as you don't move them. Everything's fine, just don't move anything because I cannot adapt well, I do not adjust well, I do not change well, I do not stir well. Now, adaptability, how well do you adapt determines how far you can go. Do you adapt well? And that's, that's where I'm going to build my case. That's where I'm going to build my case. Your adaptability quotient. Adapting the change. Adapting the situation. Uh -huh. Bless me, Lord. I want to grow. I want to develop. I want everything you have for me. But don't change nothing. Come on now. Oh, there it is. There it is. Yeah. Don't, 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 I wanted them to come to know Jesus. I wanted them to have a real faith experience. I wanted them to accept him as their Lord and Savior. But I wanted him to save somebody who wasn't drowning. Oh, okay, okay. I asked him to save them, but I didn't want them to drown. Well, who needs a savior who's not in trouble? Okay. I prayed for salvation. He answered with trouble. I said, this is the devil. Say that the Lord rebuke you. Oh, wow. Take okay. your hands off of my children. Wow. Ain't no way this could be God doing this in my house. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Oh, they gave me chills. Yes, Lord. Oh my God, y'all don't hear what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that God doesn't have grandchildren. 
<laughs> they could not be saved just because they were my kids. They had to have their own personal testimony with their Lord and Savior just like me. Yes. Yes. That's good. I asked him to save them and all hell broke loose. And I thought it was a curse. I rebuked it. I threw oil at it. I spoke in tongues about it. I cried about it. A couple of times I cussed about it. That's good, James. Come on now. Preach. I said, all that spiritual stuff ain't working. I, you ain't going to come in my house. <laughs> <laughs> but I got forgiveness. I got forgiveness. I'm back. I'm back. I'm converted. <laughs> Tell the truth, brother. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. He disrupted my house. Okay. <laughs> answering my prayer. But when I saw Cora up here praying this morning, up under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, I said it was good for me that I was afflicted. Say, God is up to something in your life. Oh, I feel a Holy Ghost breakthrough coming. I feel a Holy Ghost breakthrough coming in this place. I feel a Holy Ghost breakthrough in this place. We're not shouting because we got a new car. We're not shouting because we got a new house. We're shouting because we got an understanding that God is good. When life gets bad, he's still good. All things work together for the good of them that love. to do with how far God can use you than anything that we've ever taught you about. Because some of you want God to use you, but don't change nothing. I want to have a great marriage, but we don't want to go through anything. I want you to be faithful to me, but I can only determine your faithfulness as you are tried. These fiery trials, 
Lord, I want you to take me to the next level, but I'm scared of heights. I want to go higher and higher. I want to get up in the choir stand, but I don't want to go up the steps. How can I get to the choir stand without going up steps? I prayed to be up there, but here the devil come with these steps. <laughs> this woman, this Shunammite woman, this great woman. It's very interesting. Can I come down here and talk to you? It's very interesting that Elijah, in the space of two or three chapters, brings before us two women. One woman is in the middle of a famine, and she is broke. She's lost everything. She only has a handful of meal. Her need of Elijah's ministry is obvious. Because you know poor people need Jesus. see a missionary ministry going into a wealthy neighborhood because the American culture supposes that economic success means you don't need to be evangelized you don't see a missionary committee anywhere in this city going into Highland Park <laughs> we got quiet in here. People don't even witness to rich people. When was the last time you talked to your doctor about Jesus? But you gave that homeless man a track and said, Oh, brother, I'm praying for you. Oh, bless God that Jesus loves you with the love of the Lord. I understand why he went to the poor woman's house. She was down to her last handful of meal. She was about to bake the cake and die. We know she needs the Lord. But the Shalomite woman, she was a great woman. She had it going on. Why in the world does God send the prophet to somebody who is profitable? Okay. Sometimes the greatest poverty exists amongst the most profitable. Because when people don't have a sense of your need, they ignore you out of deference to how they perceive you. People don't comfort hard workers because they say, that's just you. Okay. Come on now. Oh, you know how mama is. Mama loves cooking for us. 
She just love cooking. Look at mama. Mama only happy when they, all the kids are home and she cooking for us. Wow. Mama tired. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. <laughs> Mama's back hurts. Yes, Lord. Mama wants all of y'all to go home. <laughs> mama resents that you don't do the dishes or nothing. Yes, Lord. That you sit up and eat everything in the house and wave at her. But people don't help you yes, Lord. when you're efficient. So it's the worst kind of poverty. They ignore you. God sends the prophet to the great woman's house. And this is how it starts. It starts because she thinks he's there so that she can bless him. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Never really realizing that her blessing him is a gateway Come on now. Ooh, Jesus. Yes, to Lord. a need that perhaps her own ego yes. sometimes God will command you to give to somebody okay. just so that they can give to you mm. something that is more valuable okay. than what you gave to them because what you gave to them will never get you what you need Mm. And God says, if you will give up what you got, yes. I will give up what I got. Yes. That's not but he couldn't introduce himself from the perspective of need. All right. Because you have adjusted to your barrenness. All right. Okay. Oh. Oh. Don't oh go anywhere. Yes, Come on. I just dropped in it. Oh, Jesus. That's Lord. We are an adaptable species. We adapt to our environment and our conditions quite quickly. You remember how angry people were two weeks ago? You remember how everybody was crying and going to die and they were falling out and fainting and acting like Donald Trump is president and the world cannot go forward? Have you noticed over the last two weeks how the marches stopped and people start thinking, well, okay. Yeah, I'm talking about you. <laughs> We adapt. It's a gift from God. AQ is a gift from God. Okay. It's why some of us have dark skin and some of us have light skin and some of us live in this species. Our features are a result of our regions. How physically we adapted to the elements around us. Okay. It's a gift. It's a gift from God to be adaptable. Until you adapt to being beaten. Or you adapt to being burdened. Or you adapt to being unhappy. Or you adapt to being lonely. What I want you to see in short order is that though this woman was great, and though she was well connected and so connected that she turned down the blessings that he offered her. Okay. He said, I don't need the king. 
I dwell amongst my own people. I know who I am. I have it together. Though she was so great that she could add a wing to her house to give to somebody else. Ooh, can I? Yes, sir. One of the telltale issues with her EQ, her emotional quotient, is some of us are good at giving blessings. You need me, I'll get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'll be there for you. You talking about stand by you? You talking about your road dog got your back? I got you. <laughs> I will take stuff from me that I needed from myself yes. and give it to you. Yes. How yes. many folks are like that? Hold yes. your hand up. Yes. You are real good at giving. Okay. Yes, Lord. But not at receiving. Okay. This woman was a giver. Bless God, she was a giver. And as long as she was given to Elijah, things were fine. When he tried to give to her, oh no, I'm, I'm fine. Where are all my I'm fine people? Holla at you, boy. How you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. She's an I'm fine woman. And she looks like she's fine. And her house looks like she's fine. Amen. And her clothes looks like she's fine. But she's not fine. You'd be shocked at the people sitting in this church who look like they're fine. They smell like they're fine. They drove in here like they're fine. But they're not fine. This woman didn't even bring up the fact that she had no child Whoa. because when you get into this emotional conundrum you don't bring it up that you have a need okay. to anybody right, right. not even to you right. because part of adapting to something is developing a new normal okay. so it's normal to be neglected wow wow it's normal to give to people who don't give back to you. Wow. That's normal. That's I'm tired. It takes a lot of strength to need. It takes a lot of strength to want. It takes courage to be vulnerable enough to say, I matter. Yes, yes. I need this. Hallelujah. She was good at giving because you need. But to admit, I need is humbling. Oh, God forbid that I, that I need something. And what I'm trying to do is to bring her IQ and EQ and AQ into alignment. Okay. Where she feels safe enough to say, I need something. I need you. That's a sign of health. Jesus avoided people who had no need. <clears throat> he that hungers and thirsts after righteousness shall be filled. 
You know what made the miracle with the 5,000 happen? Somebody had to say, I'm hungry! <laughs> you preaching good, preacher, but I'm hungry! Well, could use a piece of chicken up in this mug. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> you have to be in touch with yourself. Yeah. You have to be in touch with yourself. Not your stuff, yourself. You keep giving people stuff. <laughs> But you have to be in touch with yourself to say, Prophet, I do need something. She couldn't even tell him about it. Wait, wait, wait. She perceived he was a prophet. Okay. That's why she invited him over to the house. Okay. She so perceived he was a prophet that she built a room on his house. Right. So she knew he had contact with God. How can you be exposed to such blessings and remain so indifferent? It's like the kids who ate grandma's pound cake till she died and never got the recipe. Oh, oh. <laughs> so wait a minute. I want to go back to this perceived thing for a minute. Can I talk about that for a minute? Because it's a great opportunity to show you something. A ministry can only function to the level of its perception. Okay. Amen. Amen. You understand? When people perceive you to be a thing, you can do a thing. You can be the same person with the same gift and lose the perception and thereby lose the power. Whoa. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus said there were some cities he could do no great works in right. because they did not perceive him to be a man of God. Yeah, People's God. perception is what causes you to flow. Okay. Ooh, okay. Amen. I, I just want to throw that at you. <laughs> There is nothing as powerful as walking into a room where you are perceived to be something. You, it releases an entirely different dimension of your gift yeah. as opposed to walking into a room of skeptics. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Her perception releases power. We got preachers right now in this country who can preach just as good as they ever did. But the crowds are gone because the country no longer perceives them to be. The man is there. The anointing is there. The gift is there. I'll prove the anointing was there. He was making the mistake while you perceived him to be a man of God. Oh, oh, oh. It's only when you found out about it that he ceased to be able to bless you. Is that more about him or is it about your perception? Oh, okay. Mm. There is 
there's no question she perceived me to be a man of God. How could you perceive me to be a man of God? So much so that you have built this room. And yet, you never tell me that you have a need. Can I go deeper? I'm going to flip it. I've been theological. I'm going to go relational. It is possible for somebody to perceive you to be a great husband and a great wife, but never open up their real need. <laughs> and they will tell anybody, I married a great man. She's a great woman. But you will never benefit from my greatness until you become great enough to be vulnerable. Oh, you understand what I'm saying? Yes, yes. And say, I need you. Yes. Because the truth of the matter is, it is your need that releases my greatness. Come on now. Yes, yes. Oh. Oh. I just hope you're enjoying this as much as I'm enjoying teaching it. Because I'm just having a ball teaching it, so I hope you don't. I want to dig into this thing because this woman comes in and out of the room she built into the presence of God in front of the man of God, never learning how to get what she needs. Because she has accepted her barrenness. So finally, the prophet's servant says to Elijah, you know, she has no child and her husband is old. <laughs> Sometimes the people who serve you <laughs> are more aware of what you need <laughs> yes, than you are. Yes, and they are able to verbalize what you would never say. Mm. So Elijah says, call her again. And they call the woman back into the room. She says, yes. And this is how you know that he has hit a spot. He says, by this time next year, you will have your child. And she says, no. Don't start that. Don't start that. Don't make me want again. Oh my God, this is so powerful, you guys. I'm about to go to a segment, uh, the second episode, okay, because the time is running out. I pray that y'all been enjoying this awesome word by TJ Jakes. And this is our own time word for everything that we have been doing here on the Anchor platform. This is Dr. D with the Boom Factor, and I will be able to send you the next one, okay?